I don't know about you, I just found both of those interviews really, really in inspiring. And uh, yeah, I, I come up here and think, gosh, what have I got to say after I hear, I hear those two outstanding couples. And I'm excited about what God's going to do in them and through them. Both, both, both of you. Um, and Thierry, I wouldn't be surprised if we see you centre stage one day. I just felt that as I was sitting hearing you. I thought, I, I feel that God's saying one day, one day you'll, you'll be centre stage. And uh, one day you'll be doing this. So let, let's see. Oh, exciting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for the church that you are building. We thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you for outstanding young people like this. We thank you for people who are pursuing you and who are putting aside what the world has to offer and are pursuing you and your purposes for their life. And uh, we, we want to be like that too. We pray this morning that you would continue to speak to us, to, to do your sovereign work in our hearts, to show us where you want us to go. We thank you that you, for every one of us, have mapped out a path for us to run along. And we pray today that you would catch us up again in the great adventure of your mission. Lord, ruin us for anything else but building your church, your kingdom, and following you. We ask it in Jesus' name. I, uh, it's interesting just hearing both of those stories, and um, I think Thierry particularly, he underplayed what he did back home. So you get a little taste of it when you hear that the cabinet and the prime minister have to agree to him leaving. Highly significant uh, back at home and yet is prepared to put all of that aside to come somewhere where he is of no reputation. And it's really interesting that we've interviewed them today because I just feel that there's something around that this morning for us that God wants to say to us. And I realize that reputation is still quite a big thing for me. And uh, you think to yourself, oh, no, I've, I've died to self. And uh, then there are more little indications of all the ways that you haven't died to yourself. So let me give you just an example. I, in the summer, I finally decided that I had to embrace middle age. <laughs> I did. I'd been, I'd been putting it off for some time. There were various friends who'd been encouraging me to take this particular step in embracing middle age, and I'd said, oh, no, 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 I don't know. So anyway, but this summer, I was finally persuaded. So this summer, I joined the National Trust. <laughs> I joined the National Trust. <laughs> Having done that, I then was listening, and here's another example of middle age, I was listening to Radio 4. Yeah, and, they, and there was an article on this uh, program where they talked about the five signs of middle age, one of which was joining the National Trust. <laughs> oh, boy, I'm really there. However, I realized that God needs to still do lots in me about dying to self and about not worrying about reputation. 
Because although I have joined the National Trust, I have not put the little sticker in my car window. <laughs> I cannot quite bring myself to do that. So it's in the glove compartment so that I can just get it out when I'm driving into a National Trust property and then I can take it back out again and put it in the glove compartment. Proud man. Oh, God. Humble me. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's a dangerous prayer to pray, isn't it? I, I will go out from this meeting today and I will put that National Trust sticker in my window. We're going to read about the a story from the book of Acts. And if ever you are wanting to be encouraged and excited again in your faith, I recommend reading Acts. If you're not quite sure at the moment what you should read next in the Bible, well, let me encourage you, read Acts. It will stir you, it will excite you. And we're going to read um, an exciting passage from Acts chapter 8. So Acts chapter 8 and beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came out, up, up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And then I want to read you just one part of a verse from 1 Corinthians 4, where Paul says, we are fools for Christ's sake. I want to talk about being fools for Christ. And let me give you, first of all, a bit of background to this story that we've just picked up about Philip. So there are two Philips in the New Testament. One of them 
was one of the apostles who was with Jesus, one of the twelve. But this is a different Philip. He's called later on in the book of Acts, Philip the Evangelist. And you can see from this passage why he might have been given that title. So this is not Philip the Apostle. This is Philip the Evangelist. And Philip was one of seven guys who, earlier in the book of Acts, we read, were set apart to look after the widows because the church had grown enormously over these first few months after Jesus' death and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It had grown exponentially. And during that growth, some little niggles had come up, one of which was that the, the Jews who were Greek Jews, in other words, they had been born in Greece, and were arguing with the Jews from Jerusalem that their widows weren't being cared for as well as the Jerusalem widows were being cared for. And this comes to the 12 apostles. And they say, well, look, it's not right for us to be dealing with waiting at tables. And they say to the church, you choose seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, to administer this. And Philip is one of these seven. And what, what, what then happens is that another guy who's one of the seven, Stephen, who's uh, a bit like Philip, he's gossiped the gospel, he is taken by the Jews and becomes the first Christian martyr that we read about. So we know that Stephen was stoned. And after this stoning of Stephen, the church is scattered. And Philip is one of those who's scattered. And he goes down to Samaria, which is about 35 miles from Jerusalem. Because once Stephen is stoned, it says that a great persecution started. Do you know, as I read that, I just thought, you know, you can see God in this. Because once a church starts getting to the stage where it's quibbling about food and he's getting enough of this, and she's getting more than I am, I think God says, right, let's throw this thing up in the air. So it's probably no coincidence that persecution comes and the church gets scattered at the point at which they're all beginning to look in on themselves a little bit. So, so, so there's a warning for us, isn't it? Let's not look in on ourselves too much. Philip goes to Samaria, about 35 to 40 miles away from Jerusalem, and it says that he just begins to preach the gospel. And what it says is that many, many in that town, in that city, um, responded. It says, the, this is interesting, the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was much joy in that city. This is just Philip being there. In fact, it has such an impact on Samaria that then the apostles back in Jerusalem hear about it and they send two of the apostles to go and support Philip with the work. And Samaria was the first place where the gospel begins to break out, not just amongst the Jews. Because those who lived in Samaria, they were of mixed race, and the Jews despised them. Because in Samaria, what had happened was when the exiles came back to begin to build Jerusalem again, uh, the king from Babylon 
had brought back some people to settle them in Samaria. And they had inter intermarried and interbred with the Jews there. And in fact, they had then given up their idols and they had followed the Jewish God. But the Jews who were taken back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple didn't want anything to do with these guys. And so they rejected them. Samaritans were rejected by the Jews. They weren't true blood Jews. They were mixed race Jews. And this is the first time the gospel begins to break out with people who aren't true Jews. It's the first step towards the gospel coming to the Gentiles. And so Philip has had this fantastic experience of people with one accord listening to him and there being great joy in the city from what he's, he's been involved in. And then what does it say? It says that then the angel of the Lord says to him, rise, go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke, who writes the book of Acts, adds this little sentence. This is a desert place. It is a desert place. This sounds like foolishness. This sounds like utter foolishness. Here is this man who has such an amazing evangelistic ministry that a whole city is listening to him with one accord. And demons are flying out of people just in his presence. And then God says to him, go to a desert place. You know, as I was reading that, I just felt that some of us might feel like, do you know what, I, I was so fruitful before, it felt like life was really going so well and God was using me and now, and now it feels like I've just, I've just gone to a desert place. I was doing all this stuff before and, and God seemed to be really blessing me and then it's just, it just all seems to have stopped. I seem to be in a desert place. It's interesting, you see, the angel didn't tell Philip why he was going. He didn't say, well, you're going to go and there's going to be some significant blessing upon you. And, and it's great when God does speak to us like that. But you know, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he just says, go. And when you get there, doing all of this. There was this blessing. There was this harvest in my own life and maybe in the life of others. And, and now you just sent me to a desert place. Now, if you've ever felt like that, just wait for him. Hold on. The next installment will come. It will be around the corner. If you feel like that now, let me encourage you. Hold on. The next installment is round the corner for you. If you know that you've moved somewhere because you sensed it was the right thing to do, and yet you've got there and you think, what is this about? Hold on. Do I in the desert? Hold on. He has the next installment, and he will reveal it to you in his own good time. Do you know what Philip had to do? He had to become a fool for Christ. To 
because what he did defies logic and reasoning. Why would he do that? God wasn't even sending him to a city. He was sending him to a road. Go to the road. Why would you do that? You know what? If I was Philip, actually, I am Philip, aren't I? But if I was that Philip, <laughs> I, I, I would to be that Philip. Uh, if I was Philip, do you know what I would have done? I would have reasoned it away with God. You're joking, aren't you? No, this can't, I must be hearing you wrong. Go there. But there's such fruit here. I'm experiencing such blessing here. What, give that up? Are you, you're, are you serious, God? This can't be, I must be hearing this wrong. But there's something about Philip. What does it tell us about him? Well, when the, the apostles told the Jews to choose seven guys to administer the food for the widows, doesn't sound like a particularly grand job, requiring much skill. The apostles said, choose people who are full of the Spirit. Philip was full of the Spirit. That's why when God said, go to a road in the desert, he was able to be a fool for Christ. Do you know, I want to be more of a fool for Christ. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a proper Westerner. I reason. Can it be right for a man who has a role high up in the government of his land to move somewhere where he has no reputation? It's a desert place, surely. No, but he and his wife have it. Can it be right for a qualified, skilled practitioner to give up her job work with prostitutes and disabled orphans. Can it be right? Maybe Philip. Do you know that's what we need? It's interesting. I was just talking to John and John said, you might want to pray for people to have the Spirit. Do you know, I want it. I want I want him so that I am brave enough to be a fool for Christ. Philip was a fool for Christ. Thierry, you can be a fool for Christ. Ruth, you're being a fool of Christ. <laughs> for Christ. He stayed sensitive to the Spirit because here's the next thing that he does which is utterly foolish. Let me at this point tell you a little bit about the Ethiopian eunuch. We, can, we, we see from the passage that this guy is very high up in government. Interesting, isn't it? Very high up in government. He would have been black. He would have been high class chariot. He was completely different to Philip. Utterly different. 
there would have been all sorts of cross-cultural barriers that a guy like Philip would not have crossed to go and talk to that man. For a start, he's also not a Jew. And the Bible talks about him being a eunuch. Now, in biblical times, that term was sometimes just used to refer to people of high position in government. But it also could have had the implications that, that he was a eunuch. In other words, that he had been castrated as a younger man or even at birth, uh, because that's what happened quite often in those days, particularly if the king of a nation had a harem and government officials, he didn't want them to be having any hanky-panky with his harem, he would castrate the men who worked with him most closely. And it's possible that this eunuch was, was both of those, that this was just a term, or it's also possible that he was also physically a eunuch. And eunuchs in the Old Testament are described as unclean and as not having any right to go anywhere near the temple. And so there would also have been that with Philip. This guy is of a different race. He's not Jewish. There's a whole class barrier thing. And possibly he's unclean and I shouldn't be anywhere near him at all. It's foolishness to go and speak to that man. Foolishness. But Philip's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Do you think that, that when it says the Spirit said to Philip, go over do you think it was a great voice from heaven? You know, sometimes we can think that when we're reading the Bible and we read that it says things like the Spirit spoke to, and we can have this image of it being an audible voice back in those days, back in the days of the Bible, people really heard God speak. And of course, there were times when exactly that was like. But it probably means that he felt the nudging and urging of the Holy Spirit just like you and I do. It probably means he heard it just like you and I do, which is when we sense God whispering in God's face. We can feel that, that sense, that, that, that conviction. I, don't, I actually don't really want to do it, God. That's how quite often it works with me, with the Holy Spirit. But he was prepared to be a fool for Christ. He didn't reason away. Oh, I shouldn't go to that guy. Come on. He's, he's, he's a different class to me different colour to me. He might even be unclean. According to your word, Lord, he's unclean. He doesn't reason it away. He's a fool for Christ. He puts aside all of those natural barriers that would be a good reason not to go up to this guy because the Holy Spirit starts from where the Ethiopian was and he asks the question do you understand what you're reading? It's a great example there of how to do a bit of street evangelism start with where they're at he starts with where the, the Ethiopian eunuch's at as he's reading and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading and he doesn't understand it I don't understand it I don't think many of us on the bus or the train these days come across people who are reading the Bible and say, you know, I just don't understand this. That's not what we encounter these days. 
But sometimes you can get into a conversation with somebody where they'll say, oh, yeah, I tried reading the Bible once. I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand what it is. But you know what? More people than you think have at one stage or other in their life picked up their Bible or picked up a Bible, read it, closed it, put down. They haven't really understood. You have an opportunity when that happens. And sometimes we can say, yeah, I know, it is pretty difficult to understand, isn't it? Well, if you come to church, if you sit down and explain it a bit to you, you know, I've got courses to explain that a bit to you. Yeah, those are really valid answers. But do you know what? As I was reading this, I thought, I want to be able, in a nutshell, to say to someone who says, and I've had this before, I've had people say to me, oh, yeah, stop me all the time. I want to be in a nutshell to be able to say, well, actually, what, what it's really about in a nutshell is this. And in a nutshell, if you want one, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That's the cause of salvation. That he gave his only son. That was the cost. It was a great cost. That all who believe in him, that's what I have to do. That's my part of the gospel. May not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the consequence. You know, sometimes we can be afraid that, oh, I don't know much of the Bible. And, and how am I going to, in a five-minute conversation, get across what the main message is? And we say something woolly, and you know, actually, sometimes you know, just having something like John three sixteen, you know, God so loved the world, He's only one. That he, there was great cost that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes, that there's a response. There needs to be a response if you believe. Won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. It's a consequence forever. Now I encourage you. Have something really short, a soundbite, that sums up what the gospel is about. When you get into that type of conversation, you think, oh, where do I go? Do I it's Genesis? So, well, there was the fall of man at the beginning, and then, uh, and then there were, no, don't, don't go into all of that. Have a soundbite based on the gospel, and if you can't find one of your own, and you might well find one of your own, well, then use John 3.16 as the basis for it. Start where people are at. This is what we see Philip doing. He starts with where the issue community is at. And he starts with what he's reading. And then he opens it up and he turns it all around to what to all about being being all about Jesus. And then there's this lovely, lovely phrase that isn't in the new the, the, the NIV version of the Bible, but it is in um, other versions of the Bible, and it's in the original Greek, so I don't know why the NIV omits it, but it does. After the eunuch has said, I don't understand this. I won't understand it unless somebody explains it to me. The Bible says this. Philip opened his mouth. Now that's really interesting because Philip has already talked to him. Philip's already said to him, do you understand what you're reading? So why does the Bible take the time to then say, further in the passage, Philip opened his mouth. I mean, he's done it already. Do you know why I think it is? Because that was another moment of faith for Philip. He probably didn't know what he was going to say. But he just, So 
another passage in the Bible where God says, where it says in one of the Psalms, I think, open your mouth and I will fill it. Sometimes that's all we have to do. You get to that point where you're talking with someone and you think, I have not the first idea what I am going to say. Philip opened his mouth. And the same Holy Spirit who had led him to the desert road and told him to go to this man who was completely different to him, to cross all these reasonable cultural barriers, the same Holy Spirit filled his mouth. And we get that as well from St. Paul. And from Jesus himself. Listen to what Jesus says. In a different context, but listen to what he says. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say. Just say what's given you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. And Paul said to the church in Corinth, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message, my preaching, were not with wise and persuasive words. What were they with then? But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Sometimes, you've just got to open your mouth, and he will fill it. Will you be a fool for you know what? You can be a fool for Christ if you have the Holy Spirit. See what happens when you're a fool for Christ. Amazing adventures happen when you are a fool for Christ. We don't know for definite, but church history surmises that this Ethiopian went back to his own land and brought the gospel. doesn't tell us that, but church history traditionally tells us that that's what happened. Because Philip was a fool for Christ, he recruits another fool for Christ. Because this guy, this Ethiopian of high, of high class and good standing, would have had probably a bit of a retinue with him on this journey. He, may, he would certainly would not have been alone. And when the Bible talks about a chariot, apparently that word chariot could mean the chariot that we all picture, like a Roman chariot, but it could also mean a stately carriage, which would have had a number of attendants as well. And what does this guy do when he hears the gospel and it impacts him? He says, here's water. Is there any reason why I shouldn't be baptized now? So I'm the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm thinking, well, I need to give this some time to settle. I, I need to go back and talk to my people. This probably isn't the greatest evangelistic opportunity, but if I'm baptized back home, well, I'd be reasonable. But Philip has just recruited another fool for Christ. Because this guy, of his servant is going to take himself down into the water and let himself be dunked by a Jew. Foolish. Utterly foolish. 
Ethiopian eunuch was so taken up with the gospel and with the Spirit's power in his life already that he can't wait. He can't wait to take this step that shows an outward response to what God's done inside him. He's going to be a fool for Christ from his first day on. I'll tell you what, this bodes well for this man. Because this man doesn't go away saying, well, thanks for that word. Um, Obviously, I need to go and do some more reading myself. And and, and then we'll see. Now, this man is a fool for Christ from day one. Were you a fool for Christ from day one? Have you been baptized? It's a step of obedience. Jesus says, repent, be baptized. It was the Great Commission. Go and baptize. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I was hearing about a, another pastor, or a pastor of another church, another church who spoke quite recently on baptism and he said if being baptized wasn't your first step of obedience make it your next one make it your next one do you know God always blesses obedience what does it say about this Ethiopian eunuch who makes himself a fool it's probably all in his fine attire This is a government official. This is a member of the cabinet. This would be like, this would be, George, this would be like George Osborne getting down into the Thames in his suit. Guy's the treasurer. It's probably all in his stuff. He says, is there any reason why I shouldn't be baptized? Here is water. Is there any reason why I shouldn't be? Do you know what? This guy is a fool for Christ from day one. This bodes well for this guy. Oh, I want to be a fool for Christ. Look at what happens when you're a fool for Christ. When you don't go back to just reasoning. Philip's been a fool for Christ and he recruits another fool for Christ. Do you know, earlier on, John read out a passage of scripture and in it it said, so I wrote it down, do not be wise in your own eyes. Isn't that appropriate when we're talking about being fools for Christ? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Embrace being a fool for Christ. And later on, at the end, I'm going to ask you, if you haven't been baptised, I'm going to ask you, are you prepared to be a fool for Christ? It may not have been your first step of obedience. And there might be all sorts of reasons why it wasn't appropriate for it to be or whatever. But it can be your next step of obedience. Baptism is an outward expression of your commitment to follow him. Do not be wise in your own eyes. I heard a story this week. I was listening to a very old clip of a guy called John Wimber. He's a very significant guy in the the whole of the charismatic renewal of the church back in the the 70s, 80s and 90s. 
And he talked about the struggle he had with the, the whole issue of healing. He just didn't believe that really God still did it today. And he was preaching to his church with the book of Luke. Luke and he's got some passages about healing. And he wasn't going to preach on them. And he felt God say to him, oh, you're not, so you're not going to preach on that? Is that, that a bit not quite good enough for you to preach on? And so he felt, okay. And he said to God, but, but we don't see any of that. And I wrote down what he said. He said, I felt God say, don't preach your experience, preach my word. Don't preach your experience, preach my word. And so that's what he did. He preached on healing, and then as he was preaching, he felt God say, offer it, offer to pray. And I've never seen healing God offer to pray. And he did. fact, nobody was healed for almost a year. And yet they were praying every week. And they weren't seeing anyone healed. But John Wimber was prepared to be a tool for Christ. And then he tells the story of a phone call. Could you come pray for my wife? She's got a high fever. It's a, it's a great account to watch because he says he goes and prays for this woman in bed and then he turns around and says to the, and starts to explain to the husband why God sometimes doesn't heal when he asks. <laughs> and he says the husband is looking over his shoulder, pointing to the wife who's getting out of bed, combing her hair, and the fever's just gone. And it's the first time he sees healing. And then, obviously, John Wimber, renowned for gifts of healing. You know, I felt a little bit like that this week at our prayer meeting on Tuesday, I found it tough. I found it hard going. I came away from it and I thought, well, perhaps that was the way I... And I got into the car and I said, boy, Father, that was hard going. I actually said, God, that's tough. Do you know what I said? And I started to do the reasoning. Well, perhaps we've prayed about Alpha 2. Perhaps the people are getting bored about praying for Alpha. Perhaps we should just change what we're doing. Perhaps we should just change the format a bit. And there was no guitar, so maybe we need to make a guitar next week. And I think of some creative, really inspiring verse to bring out. And I felt checked in my spirit. You know, I did. I felt God say, oh. So it all has to be bells and whistles for you to pray, does it? You have to feel good about it when you pray. You have to feel like you've had a a real response from my spirit to pray for you. Is that what you have to do? You prepared to be a fool for me? You prepared to come when there's only 12 people here and to pray again about Alpha? When it's hard? When you feel like heaven's closed? You feel a bit foolish leading a prayer meeting like that? So, so you're not going to be a fool for me. on Tuesday. Come be a fool with me. Come be a fool with me. Because when I was just praying and thinking about the prayer meeting the other day, I felt God say, that's your powerhouse. You want to do Alpha? You want to see people saved? You want your young people on Friday nights to experience the presence of God? You want to see this church grow and have impact? 
you want the lost to, to be saved and to become. What, that? What, 12 people in a room and we're just batting away and we don't seem to get anywhere and there's no guitar? And <laughs> Are you prepared to be a fool for Christ? And to keep going with it when you still feel a fool the next week? Am I prepared to keep going with it even if this Tuesday 10 people come and we don't have great worship and we're still praying about our sins? Am I prepared to be a fool for Christ? Oh God, yes please. Do you know what it says in the Bible? That the foolishness of God is wiser than all man's wisdom. Lord, I'll have a bit of your foolishness. I want to see things like this. I want to hear you say, okay, get it? Okay. There. There. I couldn't pass it because I'm at this. No, 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 there. Him. Yeah, but I've got to be at so-and-so by a certain time today, Lord. You know it's nine o'clock and I've got No, him. Yeah, I've got to. Okay, I know. I want it. The only way I'm going to do it is if I allow his spirit seek it and pursue it and say, God, I'll have that rather than anything else. I'll have you. I'll have your Holy Spirit. Do you know it's foolish for you to give your money to the church? Foolish. I mean, who's saying? We're all a bit short these days. Think about what you could do, the sort of holiday you could have if you're not giving. Do you need to be a fool for Christ to be a reasons why I shouldn't go there. Yeah, but go there. Do you know what? He does persevere with us. He does. If you don't hear the first time, he'll find another way. But sometimes it'll be in the belly of a whale. If you don't want to be in the belly of a whale, then pray for sensitivity to his spirit. only one who's ever walked the planet who deserved a reputation made himself of no reputation to you. That's what that says. He made himself of no reputation. And he calls us to do the same thing. That's why it's a joy. It really is. It will fill your life with in a moment to stand and if you haven't been baptised then I'm going to ask you to consider being a fool for Christ I'm asking you this question we can provide the water is there any reason why not is there any reason why not see what happens to the Ethiopian when he is 
also going to ask others if you if you feel uh, the time might be a fault for you or want to give up doing something and reputation. Lord Jesus King of heaven Son of the Father the one who through everything that has been made was made the lover of our soul you who made yourself of no reputation how we long to become fools Jesus, we thank you that you promise that when we give up anything for you, you will give it back a hundredfold in this life and in the next life, life everlasting. Lord, it is true that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When Emma was praying with us this morning, had the word surrender and we hear that word a lot in church like surrender but do you know what I think that's so helpful for us this morning because he's saying will you surrender your reputation will you become a fool for me because then I can really use you Lord we want to become your fools because we recognize This is where actually the rubber hits the road. But do you know what? If you do, then you can experience what the Ethiopians experienced. Great joy and release as you give up your reputation, your worries about it, your fears, and say, I'm prepared to be a fool for you. And this is my first step.
you've been baptized and actually you feel, no, there's something else for me where I feel God's been saying to me this morning, are you prepared to be my tool? Are you prepared to lay down reputation? Are you prepared to do foolish things like I give your money, I give your time, like not take that promotion that takes you away over there because you know that I'm saying to you, stay here. Or you know that he's saying to you, I want you to go there. And there's all sorts of reasons why that's not really what I do. But you know he's saying it to you. Or there's just a pattern in your life, what you're currently giving yourself to, giving your time to. Maybe even a relationship that you know, you've got to cut it. And yet there's all sorts of reasons why your mind tells you not to do that. But that's not sensible. That's not logical. And yet you know he's saying to you, will you do it for me? Are you prepared to be of no reputation? Put that down. Come and find the freedom that comes from being a fool for Christ. And there's freedom in it. Not having to live up to your own or the world's expectations of you. But embracing foolishness for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of been saying that to you, I want you to come forward and I want you to stand at the front of the church and then we'll pray for you. where God is to be feared and respected and listened to and disappointed. And there's also a moment where God wants to speak to you. And you think this is weird. Some of us we just need to hear him. He's listening. There's a response that he wants to make. So really I want, just as Phil said, I want to clarify, you come for baptism over here come really for the Holy Spirit, you've got to concentrate. Let's come over here so we know who we're praying for, for, for where. It's important to know where. But I just sense that there are others who need to, just need to respond. And it might be that you've, you've either never been filled with the Holy Spirit or, or maybe you've not, you've not sensed the Spirit's closeness, nearness for a while. I want you to come out across the place. Um, maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're suffering from something. Maybe you're sick. You're, you're unwell. I, I, want, I, want, I want us to pray for you because um, the Holy Spirit is here. And it's, 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 as Phil said, it's really helpful. Preach the Bible, not, not your experiences. So we're, 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 we're responding to the word. We're not necessarily responding to all of our experiences. But we are responding in faith to the word of God. So I want to encourage you to come out as well. And then, and then I'm going to pray. And I'd encourage those of you who have responsibility here, leadership, just come and let's just pray for people. Pray for those who need to be baptized.
pray for those uh, those others. So why don't we all hold our heads out? We're just going to pray. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to be present in these moments. Um, this is a, a moment that's really God. Father, we thank you for your your precious, precious Holy Spirit. We thank you that it was promised by the Father. It was blown upon the people by Jesus, that he blew upon his disciples, received the Holy Spirit. Father, everything that we do is subject to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I pray now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. Come upon these that have that have come out because they want to be fools for Christ. They want to lay down stuff in their lives for you. Come out upon those that that are taking the next step of obedience for them to be baptized. We pray that you come upon them in Jesus' name. Father, for any here who who have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, or maybe their experience is a desert road, but it's not a desert road because you've sent them. It's just a desert road. Father, I pray that yes. they would respond also to yes. this word, yes. to be filled with the Holy yes, Spirit, God. Oh, God. to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Thank to be able to live like God, Philip lived, sensitive to the Spirit, moving according to his words. We pray that in Jesus' name. So if you're a leader here or you know you pray for people regularly, just come and just begin to lay hands on people. Um, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come out as well. Come out over here. Let's pray for you. If you want healing, just come out, let's pray for you. This this has always been a Sunday in our hearts that we would respond to God. We would respond to Him. So but just just begin to pray for people. Let's just come alongside people, begin to pray for them. Thank you, Jesus. Ben's just going to keep playing. We're not going to make a big uh, thing of playing and singing. Just just responding to God with your hands. Come into Him. Receive Him from Him. 